Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So I have a wonderful update, Dave. A few episodes ago, I forget exactly how long it was, uh, I had asked about advice about what to do as I was monitoring, as I was modernizing my app code base into Swift, and I, I needed to rewrite my watch app. I had asked you whether I should do it in Swift UI, which would involve a complete rewrite, throwing away a whole bunch of UI code, but UI code that was for WatchKit, which I hate, and that was old and crusty, and it's, it would be good to get rid of. And uh, I am happy to report that I took your advice at the time, which was, yes, go ahead and rewrite it in Swift UI. And as of roughly today, it's almost done. Uh, I have nice. almost the entire core of it all done, all rewritten, all working. I'm using it now on my watch. Yesterday, I got local audio playback working again. Uh, everything's integrated. Everything is using the same sync engine as the desktop. Uh, or as the wow as the <laughs> as the ios version <laughs> which is on the desktop now yes it is it's on my desktop at least <laughs> yeah. that's a story for another day though um so happy to report that uh that that is almost complete and i actually i should have it in beta in the next couple of days and uh it's it's gone very well i there are things about swift ui that are incredibly rough edges incredibly and there is so much about it that is undocumented or poorly documented. And there's so much about it that is confusing and a little bit ugly and a little bit hacky. But overall, this project has been a success. And overall, I, I think I might like Swift UI. It's it's still a bit of a might there. Sure. Because <laughs> there are so many weird, you know, situations. You know, it, once you leave the beaten path of what would look good on a conference slide and start having real world needs like, okay, well, what about what, what happens when this data has to change as a result of a sync action or how do you persist this data or what, how do you, you know, well, how do you react to this strange situation that you, that you have in real life all the time? Swift UI has still a lot of rough edges and a lot of hackiness around a lot of those conditions, but I'm happy to report that if you are willing to drop a lot of your quote requirements of certain like custom behaviors or or special appearances and if you're willing to just kind of let swift ui be swift ui and and kind of come to it on its own terms if you're willing to rewrite a whole lot of your data layer stuff to to adopt the new observable object protocols and stuff like that uh then it actually can be pretty cool and i actually have been able to do quite a lot of ui work you know pretty quickly uh and and there's parts of it that go very slowly but overall I've actually been fairly happy with it in the context of a watch app that can require, you know, mostly the latest OS. Um, yeah. In other contexts, like I, I haven't brought any of it to the phone yet. I did actually over the break, I actually did very quickly write a like throwaway single screen coffee calculator app uh, entirely in Swift UI for, uh, in, for iOS only. Um, it's not released, so please don't ask. But <laughs> it might someday be. It's actually easier to put something in the App Store rather than trying to like have this app on your phone that you launch four times a year <laughs> and have that actually work without like something expiring. Um, but so it actually might might release to the App Store. But anyway, overall, I'm very happy with Swift UI on the watch, and I am I'm looking forward to a time when I might be able to use it on iOS and like in the iOS app. 
And that, that, that might start this year, I think, which we'll get to in a minute. But overall, the watch project, I'm very happy you convinced me to go that direction. It went very well, and it's almost done. That, that's wonderful to hear. And I think it's, it's, it gels a lot with my experience with SwiftUI, that I think there is this – it's like there's this very uncomfortable period at the beginning of doing SwiftUI work um, where because of the lack of yeah, – I mean, I think both there's a lack of documentation and kind of a difficulty there. Or even just, I mean, it looks like documentation is a tricky thing. It's like there are good resources for SwiftUI um, that exist. They're just not first party. But I think there's this really awkward period where it, because it's so different conceptually um, than any other sort of experience I've had um, in building things, that there's just like you have to hit your head into the wall for a while um, and it's uncomfortable and you know not pleasant. And then suddenly you break through to the other side and it's like, huh, okay, like, I can kind of get this. I, I can, and there's some some things about it that are just like super awesome and amazing. Um, and so it's sort of having a project to, to, to start out with, I think is a great place. And I think the Watch app, I'm so glad to hear, is turned out to be that for you. Because I think, it, and that was my experience, you know, I learned SwiftUI on the Watch as well. And I think it's a really good context for it because just the use cases and the complexity of what you're doing are so much simpler um, necessarily because it's on a watch um, that you know, the, it, it's a great place to kind of play around with that. Whereas, you know, if, on an iOS, the expectations are much higher. The screen size is much higher. The layouts are much more sort of nuanced and complicated. So um, it sort of necessarily makes sense that um, it, it's harder to, to learn there. So, but yeah, that, that's great uh, to hear. And I'm glad that you're, you know, it's like you're, 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 you're ste- stepping firmly into 2021, um, you know, in, into the modern age, writing apps in <laughs> Swift and Swift UI. It's very cool. Yeah, and the Swift side of it is also working out very well for me. Um, I'm I'm finally. It's funny. I I crossed a threshold yesterday, where I had to work inside of some Objective C classes yesterday, and as I was writing the code, I was thinking, man, I I wish I was writing in Swift right now. Like I I was. It was it, the Objective C versions of what I was writing felt more cumbersome, and it wasn't for any like significant reason it was like you know a semicolon here or there and like it wasn't it, it was it wasn't that big of a deal really like the things that that programmers complain about are you know often greatly exaggerated <laughs> but i was very happy to be at that point now and i and I'm, i realized too like as i as i go through different um you know rewriting certain classes or or writing new code in swift uh i noticed just how many uh, methods or refinements or name changes or things like that have only started being used very recently in the OSs, like as of like iOS 13 or like some of the things I was doing were on um, file handles and file handles completely changed their API in iOS 13.4. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> and so, and in a way that makes things, you know, a little bit cleaner with exception handling and stuff. And so, there's a lot, a lot of things that changed then and, and instantly deprecated the previous versions. And so I actually am requiring for this for the next update to Overcast, whenever it comes out, it's still a little bit off, a little bit out, but I'm actually going to require iOS 13.4, <laughs> which is strange. Why not? <laughs> but yeah. it makes certain things easier. And like and there's so many things like that where I'm I'm actually not only am I am I getting into Swift finally for real this time, but I'm actually happy that I waited this long because a lot of this stuff has gotten nicer in fairly recent versions of the OS. And a lot of this stuff, I really couldn't require, I really couldn't adopt a lot of the niceties of a lot of this stuff until I could require, say, iOS 13. 
and that hasn't like my shipping version still is on 12 i'm gonna drop that soon but like this most of this is happening very recently and swift ui yeah it came out last year but swift ui requires ios 13 and watch os 6 and i can only reasonably require those versions of the os for my user base like around now so i i really couldn't have adopted swift ui earlier than i did without significant user loss and I'm actually very happy that I didn't adopt Swift as heavily as I am now until very recently. So I could also take advantage of stuff on, on the uh, iOS side. Yeah, and I think that all makes sense. I mean, it's, it's always that there's always that attention there in terms of the, you know, this is like speed versus ultimate ease because the longer you wait, the easier many things will often become and there's less sort of rework or change or things like that that you have to navigate. But it certainly is, you know, it's like if you wait too long, it becomes problematic. But it sounds like, you know, in terms of where you are and with overcasts going forward this year, like it seems like you're in a pretty sweet, you know, good place where um, you're com- comfortable with the new t- tools and the new technologies to a sufficient degree that you can adapt and sort of adopt them as you go um, going forward, the, you know, into into this year. Um, and you don't have sort of the, this wall that you had to climb at the end of last year. Now that's like, you, if you've done that, it's behind you. And now you can just kind of move forward into doing whatever feature work or things that you um, sort of want to do in this year. Exactly. And, you know, and, and a lot of this stuff, like, you know, it, for different programmers, the timing of when is best for you to jump into something new is very, very different. And a lot of this is just because of the kind of programmer I am. If I was more into, like, being like on the cutting edge of things but tooling or language design or anything else i i I would have and should have jumped into swift much much earlier than this uh if i if i was really into like influencing the direction of the language like you know posting on the on the groups and and you know making pull requests and talking about proposals like all that stuff again earlier would have been better Uh, but i'm not that kind of programmer i i like to go in to a a new environment you know a platform a tool a language when all that stuff has been worked out, when it's pretty stable, pretty mature, and has a lot of niceties already built in from having many years of evolution and, and refinement and experience. Like, you know, I, I want to go in not when it's like, you know, the city's under construction and everything's being built and everything's in flux. I want to go in when it, if, like it's like a movie futuristic city. Where like everything is like clean and polished, not like the bad future cities, but you know, like the, yeah, the, yeah. what what futuristic cities used to be depicted as. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, everything is like clean and perfect and advanced, and everyone's flying around and flying cars, and everything's like like that's what I want when I enter a new language. I want it to be at that stage of its evolution, not the like you know rough and tumble early days, um, which many people find very exciting, but that's not for me because I like I, I'm not a language nerd at all, and I don't tolerate any problems with the tooling and that's again like swift ui is still in those early days which is why it was hard for me to adopt that at first uh, but swift itself is very much not and and it's way past those and so swift itself and and the frameworks on ios and everything that use swift uh, or that swift has, has been adopted for it's it's significantly in a better place yeah I think it's really the only downside of that strategy. And I think I generally am in the same place as you, except for the sense that for my work, I enjoy, well, or, or my, my pattern has been to adopt things as soon as I can, typically in terms of new uh, framework features and, uh, you know, iOS capabilities. And that has been typically, like in the early, you know, in the first maybe two years of Swift, it didn't matter if I was Objective-C or if I was Swift. Um, 
And it's only been in the last couple of years where I feel like last year where it was, you know, if I wanted to do a proper watch app, I needed to do Swift UI. And if I, and then this year it was, you know, if I wanted to do widgets, I had to use Swift UI as well. Um, and so there's, we're starting to get to, I think, the place also where, you know, if you want to be able to do the latest and greatest, Apple is no longer, you know, doing that in a way that um, you can just, you know, s- still be doing things the old way. Like it's all the new way now. Um, and it certainly makes sense, you know, Swift UI and what they're doing with it and the way that it works with widgets, like, is very cool. And I think it's a very clever um, technological solution, but it's like, it, regardless of that, that's the direction that they're going. And so I think it's definitely an interesting place to be as I like look forward into this year. It's like, I feel good that I feel competent with Apple's core technology stack that there is like, they're going to almost certainly be putting at front and center in all of the new things that they announce um, this year. That you know, being competent with Swift UI seems very important right now. Um, if you want to b- make an app that is you know going to be able to do sort of the, the latest and greatest cool stuff on iOS, um, because that's just where Apple is, and that's you know, if the, the key theme of WWDC last year was very much like Swift UI, it's a little early, it's a little young, but this is we're not joking about this. This is this is for realsies. This is what we're going to be doing um, for a long time. And, you know, sort of get on board as soon as you can. We are brought to you this week by Command Line Heroes. This is a podcast that tells epic, true tales of developers, programmers, hackers, geeks, and open source rebels who are revolutionizing the technology landscape. Season six of Command Line Heroes is available now. This season tells the stories of black technologists who innovated and invented despite systemic racism, unfair hiring practices, and unequal education opportunities. There's an episode all about Gladys West, whose mathematical models and data analysis paved the way for GPS. Another episode tells the story of Jerry Lawson, who invented the first cartridge-based video game console, paving the way for Atari, Nintendo, and Sega. I was always a Sega person. Another episode tells the story of Mark Dean, who grew up in the Jim Crow South and grew up to revolutionize the PC industry with the ISA bus. I remember ISA cards. <laughs> My first card was an ISA card. It was a sound card. Uh, anyway, Season 6 of Command Line Heroes sounds awesome. I've added it to my podcast app, of course, Overcast, uh, so, I can, so I can listen to it because this sounds fantastic to me. Uh, this is right up my alley, and if you listen to this show, it's probably right up your alley, too. Search for Command Line Heroes anywhere you listen to podcasts, especially if it's Overcast, and we will include a link in the show notes. Our thanks to Command Line Heroes for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I think it seemed like a good place right at the start of the year um, to sort of think through what we kind of expect for this year. What like not, not in the sense of predictions in a, in, a, in a formal way, but I was just I feel like this is always the week where, you know, I've we've had the holidays. I took some time off for the first time in a, a while. It um actually didn't work for a few days, which was nice. Um it's like coming back was a little rough on Monday, but it's like I'm back and I start to think forward. I start to think about, okay, what is this year going to look like? Um, and both in terms of like, what, am, what do I, where do I expect my apps to go? But I think at the first place was just trying to think in terms of like, what are the kind of the layout, like the big blocks of this year that I expect? And are they different? Um, obviously in, in a world of COVID where, um, a lot of the, the typical scheduling may be slightly adjusted. Um, and so I think the first place I was just sort of thinking, trying to think through I, was what does the sort of developer schedule likely look like, um, for us this year? And I think it's probably going to be one of these sort of a year, a little bit similar to last year, but probably, but slightly more 
confidence and certainty that I suspect um, WGC will be remote again. I think that will almost there's much it's probably more likely that it will be early June rather than late June. Like I think that's typically where Apple likes it, and I think now that they're planning it um, and have a year of work from home and all that under their belt, they're probably going to be a bit more. Um, confident about doing that. And so I kind of expect they will go back to the normal, like, first or second week of June. There'll be a at-home WWDC. Um, between now and then, I don't expect much in the way of uh, sort of developer things. We're pretty high on the iOS builds as it is. Um, like, I think we're on f- uh, 0.4 now, I think, um, of iOS. And so, like, it seems pretty... I think we're, we're getting fairly old and mature at this point. So it seems less likely that we're going to have... Like, I think last spring, there was the um, iPad cursor support that came out. And that was kind of a relatively large developer feature uh, mid-cycle. But I think we might... If I'm just guessing now, it seems we're fairly set between now and June. And so I could, you know, sort of plan accordingly with what I'm going to do. And then... You know, we'll have another WDC and developer cycle, and then, um, you know, in the fall, iOS um, will launch, and we'll get a new set of hardware, and sort of so on. And I think that's the the general framework of the year that I'm expecting. Um, and beyond that, you know, I, I think some things are, are going to be sort of very quiet this year. That I think there will continue to be um, conferences or um, sort of things like that, but they'll all be remote for at least between now and WWDC. There's not going to be a lot of sort of opportunities for things outside of that. Um, and, you know, I think in terms of actual the opportunities, like who knows what, you know, the next version of iOS is going to include. Um, but I think at a, at a broad strokes, we have another, you know, we have six months of probably clear skies ahead of us from a developer perspective in terms of we can choose what we're going to work on. Not much is going to change in the environment around us. And we could just sort of go full steam ahead in whatever direction um, we decide based, you know, based on sort of the position we find ourselves in now in January. Yeah, that all sounds pretty much right to me. I, I also agree that WBDC is almost certain to be remote again, uh, because as much progress as we're making in the world here, uh, I don't think June is going to be a time when anybody's going to have a 5,000 person in-person conference. Uh, that's a little little soon. Um, so, and, and Apple also would be, I think, fairly conservative with when they would do that again. So like, I bet Apple won't have anything in person possibly the entire year, um, certainly not the first half of the year. Um, but anyway, um, looking, f- you know, looking at like the tech side of things, I think it's interesting to look at where we are on the different platforms and and kind of assume where things might go from there. It seems like all the action this year is going to be most likely, I think, on the Mac and in the area of potential AR thing later later in the year. You know, we've heard rumors for so long, so many years, this is going to be the year of Linux on the desktop, and this is going to be the year that Apple releases the AR headset. <laughs> but the rumors of that happening this year are really heating up recently and, and are coming from, from sources that are historically usually more accurate. Um, and it, it sure is sounding like a, a significant possibility that we might get something like an AR development kit this year, even if the product itself, like the glasses or whatever, is not ready yet. And, you know, Apple, there's a reason why Apple's been pushing so heavily into putting LIDAR sensors and all the things and everything. It's not just for better table demos. You know, like, there's probably a, a better reason. And so I think, you know, looking at the platforms, iOS itself seems pretty mature, pretty stable. Like, quality and stability-wise, iOS 14 has been a remarkably good release for me. Um, has, have you seen the same thing? 
Yeah, I mean, in, I think broadly speaking, it's been very stable, certainly compared to 13 in the early days <laughs> yeah. of 13. Like, yeah, that's it's not saying much. Um, you know, there are still areas that always get frustrated where it's like opening the settings app and the settings app getting stuck for some reason is still one of these things that like haunts my phones and I have no idea what's going on there. But otherwise, I don't think there's any sort of regular um, annoyances or issues that I have on iOS 14. Yeah, like I, I, it seems like iOS is in a very good place right now. And it's also, you know, after 14 major releases, it's, you know, the new stuff that comes every year is is not that mind-blowing. It's not that life-altering for developers. You know, it's it's incremental progress here and there. And so I think we're going to keep seeing that. iOS is pretty mature. I also think that, you know, they're, you're looking at, like, on the Mac side, there's a lot of excitement right now happening around the Mac, uh, both, I think, internally in Apple for the first time in possibly eight or nine years, uh, and, and certainly externally. Um, and it, I think that has come at the cost of the iPad to a large degree. Not to say that they're, you know, ignoring the iPad, but I think the iPad has has lost, like, favored child status among certain priorities, maybe, um, for the time being. Uh, because I, I think what we're seeing is that, you know, the iPad got a lot of attention, a ton of attention uh, for a while, on the consumer side, the pro side of the iPad got has gotten like bursts of attention every few years, um, but they've been strong when they've happened. Um, but I think what we're seeing now is Apple has redirected that like pro focus of like what what is high end computing on our platforms and you know, where does that happen? I think Apple for a while was trying to push that to the iPad, and now they've they've significantly gone back to the Mac in that area, and that's you know, I, I love that because I'm I've been on you know a Mac person <laughs> the whole time, yeah. so it's very good news for me. I apologize to iPad people out there, um, but I think overall that that's likely to continue into 2021, where I think. It's going to be a pretty quiet year for high-end iPad users. You know, I mean, hardware-wise, who knows what they're doing? Like the 2018 or the 20 the, 20, the 2018 iPad Pro is basically still the current iPad Pro um, with very few changes. Uh, but I also don't see a lot of need for them to to push that performance higher and higher and higher when the software is not really getting there to support it. So I think the iPad's going to be pretty quiet still for a while. Looking at you know software platforms, I think. The Mac still is like greatly in flux. You're in the middle of this transition. You're in the middle of uh, both the hardware and like a software UI transition on the Mac. Um, and so that I think is going to get all the attention. So I think where all the heat is going is to be this year is the Mac, you know, a little bit on the iPhone because it's always a little bit on the iPhone, but not like significantly. Almost none on the iPad. And then if that AR thing happens where we get at least a developer kit this year, uh, then that's going to be like like the new hotness everything else seems pretty stable you know the watch is pretty stable um i don't expect you know the watch never changes in major ways so i don't, I don't expect <laughs> that to all of a sudden start uh, and so i think it's going to be that kind of year you know if, if you're if you're mainly on ios i think you're going to have a, a pretty like nice you know incremental slash quiet year and if you're the kind of early adopter i think the ar thing coming in could be a really massive deal and if you're on the mac it's it's a pretty big year anyway yeah, I mean, I think that's it. That sounds fairly reasonable, and it's it's interesting though as you say that all through. It's like, in many ways, it's a relief because the, the main areas that like I do my work in, I don't think are are particularly going to be in upheaval this year, um, and that's comforting in some ways to have a sort of potentially a more straightforward, easy year that I can focus on refinement rather than on like complete whole cloth creation. 
because um, you know as, as much as it's like I'm excited about what's happening on the Mac, and I think it's I'm you know I expect I expect it's a year that I will, will buy. Uh, at least one, potentially more than one, uh, new new Macs, just to sort of, and it's like every time they come out with a new, um, fancier, better, you know, Apple Silicon Mac, I'm probably going to buy one, just because if it, you know, I, I don't know how many times they're going to be able to have this step change function, like improvement in my, um, in, in, in the performance and my productivity um, on the platform, but I will I will gladly take as many times as they can do that this year. <laughs> Smart. And then it's like, you know, the other, the other things like AR, like, sure, it sounds interesting, but it's one of those, like, I have to see it. I, a, in my mind, I've never found a compelling sort of thing that I felt I could do, um, that I felt like I found felt personally empowered, where it's, you know, it's, it's a situation that would, would make sense for me. So we'll have to see um, certainly what happens there. And it's like, if that's, if the other platforms are kind of nice and straightforward, that's great. Like I can have a year where I focus on um, just continuing to make like, you know, Widgetsmith, Watchsmith, um, Phenomenal Sleep. Like I can make these apps just better and focus on just improvement. Um, and hopefully maybe I'll have a quieter summer and, you know, it's uh, have a quieter year overall, which would be nice in some ways. Yeah, I think we could all use a rest after 2020. <laughs> but also, yeah. you know, but I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I, I think... A year where you mostly get to just refine stuff and and add features and make stuff better and maybe work on some of the like you know underlying engine code. That's a great year to me. I love that kind of year. <laughs> you know, there's there's a time and a place for the exciting you know throw everything away, start over, new platform, those kind of years. Uh, but we've had a bunch of those in the last decade, and and we could actually use some time to catch up, especially in the last few years with the introduction of. Swift UI and Catalyst and all these things that are like, you know, massive, like platform shifting things. Uh, I think it's really nice to be able to actually have time to adopt those where, where you're not, you're not fighting like a, a kind of like a, a marketing cost uh, year where, where they like redesign the OS or add dark mode or like things where like you are kind of forced by market pressure or by technological changes. You're kind of forced to adopt a new thing. But it's not like that big of a deal for your app or it doesn't benefit your customers in that many direct ways. Like those I feel like are kind of overhead years where you, you're just kind of forced to churn and do a lot of work that doesn't necessarily result in like new marketable features. I think this year will hopefully be the opposite. Like, And we've had a bunch of those years recently, so I'm, I'm glad to have one that this is finally looking like it's probably going to be more like a refinement year where you'll actually have a chance to add value for your customers and hopefully not have like major – uh, distractions or major technological churn needs that you'll be forced to adopt and, and cost the other the other time, you know. Yeah, I, I do think it too. It's a it's a funny thought as I'm thinking through sort of what this year might look like. There is a non insignificant chance that this is the first year in the last twelve years that I don't launch a new app. What? I know, right? But it's I'm thinking about <laughs> my situation and like where things are with like the apps that I have. And, you know, like the amount of work I have and the opportunities I have, like making Widgetsmith, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't expect to launch a new app and have it be as successful as Widgetsmith ever again. And so (laughs) it's the kind of, so like the amount of work I have just in sort of continuing to refine and develop and flesh out and really take advantage of the position that Widgetsmith is in, like, it feels like more work than I could ever do. And so, like, let alone having time to work on my other apps and give them some attention as well. And so it was just this funny thing when I was thinking about this year. And it's like, I mean, 
it, it, it's, it's sort of like like never bet never bet against the iPhone, like never bet against me launching a new app. But when I look at this year, I, I feel like the odds are the lowest they've ever been for new app launching. And who knows? Maybe 2021 will be the year of no new apps. We'll see. I'm not taking that bet. <laughs> sure. <laughs> there was because like. If they do anything with new hardware, like if there is a single new hardware capability, or if they really do give us like an AR dev kit, you're going to have an app out there on day one. Come on, like people, people mature, people get refined, but people don't fundamentally change that much. (laughs) You're going to have an app on day one for whatever new hardware or software capability there is, whether it's, you know, a major effort or like a minor kind of throwaway thing, you're going to have something there. Believe me. I mean, I feel like maybe if I, it's like if, I, if if I don't, I'd be like disappointing like the world. Like that's my you know that that's who I am. But it is it's a weird thing. Like looking at this year, and I feel like so many platforms are in a good stable place. There's not a lot of huge new things, and you know, obviously we'll find out in June how you know if I'll be sort of you know la- laughing about saying that I may not launch something new this year. But um, you know, it's I feel like I, I feel pretty pretty fully loaded at this point as it is so it's like if, if it was ever going to happen that i just kind of stick to what i've already got and continue refining and developing it 2021 seems like that year i'm not holding my breath thanks everybody for listening sure. <laughs> and we'll talk to you in two weeks bye